The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be discussing Fulham's 6-2 win over Bristol City on Saturday. 13 goals in two games, two halves of football with five goals scored. These are sensational times to be a supporter of Fulham Football Club. And although Nigel Pearson tried to cut the power 10 minutes before kickoff yesterday, he was powerless to stop the romp as Fulham just scored goal after goal after goal. And here to look back at everything that happened on Saturday is Dan Cook. Hiya, Sammy. Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy James. And Adam Carson. Good morning, Sammy. Ben, you have those classic, I was definitely in Pop World sunglasses on. It's because I definitely was in Pop World last night, that's why. <laughs> I meant to check this morning what your last scene on WhatsApp was. What would it roughly have been? Probably about 3.40 a.m. Uh, we, we got in, we actually got in fairly early, but when, when we got, after we got in, it was just pure chaos. I threw up and then covered myself in towels and then fell asleep next to the toilet until 20 to 4 in the morning. <laughs> Mate, you must have had, that's the best day of your life, isn't it? Pop World till 3.20 and Fulham scoring six goals. It doesn't really get too much better than that, does it? No, life doesn't, life doesn't reach highs that high. So um, yeah, my life's complete from now on. So um, I'm not really too sure where I go from here. <laughs> right, let's do some three word reviews from yesterday. Adam, you were taking a look. What were the best ones that came in? I kind of wish we had done three word reviews of Ben's night out last night. But in, in, lieu, <laughs> in lieu of that, we'll stick with uh, the, the game itself. So we had um, Chris Harris with Soundhorn Sammy, which I'm sure we might do at some point in time. Your face says yes. Um, our very own Tim Clark with Semenyo's premature gesticulation. Um, FFC that. Brandon with Tony is trembling, obviously given his record is in dire straits. Where's Prime with floodgates without floodlights? Serbian football tweeted us with big Serb energy. Um, RJ on Instagram with sixes and sevens. And then Ben Cook with six to remember. Nice. Oh, very that. good three word reviews today. I'm going to be the fun police. I'm not going to press the horn. Oh, what? Why not? That's why I'm here. It's three I'm wins ju- in a row and top of the league. It's not three yet. It I was enough myself. goals for three games. <laughs> I dragged myself out of my nice warm bed, hung over, I feel, I feel you not really to hard. blow the horn. Is this a joke? Uh, look, Dan, if it's three out of three, I'll give you a mini horn. I just think it could shock Jarms out of his hangover. A nice loud blow of the horn. All right, I'm going for a mini horn, but this is not full horn. Full horn is after Birmingham, okay? If we can beat Birmingham, it's full horn, okay? Okay. All right. I was happy enough with that, thanks. I feel better now. It's giving me the horn. Mini horn. (laughs) Mini horn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just wanted to start with a stat which... I love sometimes the, the kind of user-generated content that we get on Fulhamish. The three-word reviews is obviously the king of, of that trend. But sometimes people send in messages that just mean I don't have to do anything, that just mean that my job is made so simple. And this one from Ben Knowles is just 
chef's kiss. So first of all, his first stat that he says, it's just a nice little appetizer, which is that we have scored one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven goals this season. Uh, and apparently that is a first. I mean, that, that is a beautiful little appetizer. Lovely stat. Lovely stat. This one, though, is the main course. Today was only the eighth time Fulham have scored six or more goals in a league game in our 143-year history. Three of those have been in the last three months. Two of them have been in the last five days. Uh, 25% of the times we have scored six or more goals in our history have been between now and Tuesday. We're class. And it's weird because we became desensitised to it yesterday. We were were all gunning for seven. We thought, oh, come on, we've done it twice this season. Let's get another, lads. Honestly, this is an astonishing time to support Fulham. It's one of those times that I know I will look back at so fondly. I want to bottle up the feeling that I have right now because I know in 12 months' time, we'll probably be losing our shit because we'll have beaten Everton 2-1 to get our third win of the season. (laughs) And we'll think that it's marvellous. But actually, these are the times that I want to put in a little bottle, stick on my mantelpiece and have it forever. But I know we won't. So we just need to enjoy the times that we have right now. Um, Dan, first time that Fulham have actually managed to win a game this season coming from behind as well. That's the kind of um, maybe forgotten stat from yesterday. It was certainly not the perfect start, but by 45 minutes it had all gone away. It was just the most sensational first half of football I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it it was, uh, I took a friend, a couple of friends to the game yesterday um, who aren't Fulham fans. And I turned to one of them when we went 1-0 down and I said, this is trouble for us because (laughs) I feel like Bristol City aren't a team under Pearson that you really want to go one down against while uh, playing at home. And I thought they were just going to dig in and it was going to be really turgid and going to be a tough half. Um, and he had likewise put on a bet for the game to be under two and a half goals. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so 45 minutes in, we were both horrifically wrong. And it was beautiful. I think it was it was a really, really good day. And some of the, the scenes in the Hammersmith and where I was sitting were, were incredible yesterday. It was I mean, it felt like everyone felt the weight of this game yesterday, especially with the Bournemouth result. I think it was one of those where we we did turn up for the occasion. I think the players buzzed off the fans and the fans likewise off the players. And I think it was a great day. Yeah, Adam, it was obviously a bit of a weird start to the match. Um, There was a power cut about 10 minutes before kickoff. I was in the queue for the Hammersmith end and everyone was moaning because we thought it was all of the COVID pass checks that were taking ages. And then suddenly someone said, I think the floodlights are off. There's something wrong here. And we were like, no, shut up. And then all of a sudden, then the announcement came out that it was a power cut. It got delayed to 3.15. And then given the fact that we'd all just seen the Bournemouth score, it just added to the sense of anticipation yesterday that yesterday was really, really massive. Felt almost like a turning point, especially with those results. And then Fulham having the chance to go top of the lead. So when Bristol did take the lead twice, I, I just remember thinking, we're, here we go again. I totally agree. I was sitting um, I, was, I was sitting down in the concourse of the Johnny Haynes stand watching the Bournemouth game and it was it was brilliant. You know, I've never seen so many Luton fans in my life when that goal went in. <laughs> uh, it really did. Kind of, it, was, it was like a pre-match, a proper good pre-match. So as soon as that, we went outside, we were kind of waiting for the game to kick off and it, it was a weird kind of subdued atmosphere when the this, um, floodlights and everything went out because... The players had already warmed up. They weren't sure if the game was going ahead at the same time. 
they came out and they were kind of warming up again. So I think that probably built some nervous energy up for us. And yeah, as soon as kickoff came, there was definitely a part of me that felt this is going to be one of those games for Fulham where all the pressure's there, all of the opportunities there, and we potentially let the chance go. Um, it was also, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to both of Bristol City's goals, but it, it felt as though Fulham weren't expecting Bristol City to genuinely attack. It was like, this is our game, we're going to go and play now. And then as soon as Bristol ran at us and actually managed to score, there weren't really any tackles going because they genuinely didn't see the threat um, that Bristol City possessed. And that's when even later on in the game when we found that we were ahead. I still didn't feel 100% safe until we started to score, you know, goals four, five and six. Yeah, Ben, I, I want to obviously talk about Fulham's attacking prowess in a second, but let's maybe just do a little section on kind of both the Bristol City goals. And first of all, I feel I have to say Semenyo's take of both of them is astonishing. The first is quite good. The second, he only can hit it in exactly where he did. He he turns Tim Ream, he holds off Harrison Reed, and then he smacks it on the inside of the post, inch perfect. So I will give a little round of applause to him, but also Tom Kearney. I mean, I don't know why it's Tom Kearney suddenly in Kenny Tete's position, but he gets spun far too easily really but then again he's not a right back um and obviously the second's a calamity really it was two really emphatic finishes the first one i thought was was excellent at the near post to roof it like that shows some incredible technique and as you say to turn tom kearney inside out before doing that i think uh, there's there's a good player in in Semenya there um, so yeah i think bristol city should be very uh, excited about him looks like he's got a lot of pace and power um, and the way he he drove at players for that second goal um, was also really impressive too. You you saw his upper body strength holding off Harrison Reed, who, if you watch the Bristol City highlights like I did this morning, just to remind myself of what happened because I've got a memory blank uh, <laughs> that uh, they call uh, Harrison Reed Tim Tim Reed, uh, and he's a US, <laughs> he's a US international. Um, but yeah, I thought um, two brilliantly emphatic finishes. The second one was like watching FIFA 21 in real life with that Mitrovic shot that powers off the defender and it's a perfectly placed pass for about 45 yards that skims across the pitch like perfectly into uh, Semenya's feet for him to drive on. I don't think I've ever seen that in a real life football match. Uh, I've only ever seen that happen on a video game presented by EA Sports. So yeah, it was just a bit like a glitch in the matrix that second goal. Um, and I just want to comment on the Bristol City highlights because I was watching them this morning, as I mentioned, and I was just laughing the whole way through because the amount of times they mispronounce players' names or they completely get the wrong player or they just amalgamate names. It was just very, very fun, fun watch. Uh, they called, as I said, Harrison Reed, Tim Reed, and they called Tosin, Tosin Adarabayoyo uh, a few times. And I was just laughing. It was just great. Very As nice we've vibe. said many times this season about Tosin, it's just not that hard. Call him Tosin. It's really, really easy. Mm -hmm. Can I just say, Sammy, on the, the, the goals that we conceded, my only worry is, and I was thinking it during the game, I off the top of my head, it feels like we've conceded the same goal at least four times this season, where an opposition player has picked the ball up on the halfway line, run in a straight line towards our goal, and been able to put it in the net pretty much unchallenged. Off the top of my head, we've got the Reading uh, um, goal, you've got Sheffield United's goal, and then two yesterday. And I think it is just an issue, and it is 
uh, an issue with our system. We're one of the few in fairness, but where because we are high wing backs and we've got at least two out of three central midfielders who like to affect the game in the final third, we are open to be countered like that. And I just think that we need to work out a way of dealing with it because I, I think... I would say the same thing for the second goal as most people was that we should probably just take a yellow card in that situation. But that's not really a solution to the problem because you can only do that once as Tim Ream or Harrison Reed, and then you can't do it for the rest of the game. So I think we need to find a bit of a better solution than just Stefan Johansson bringing him down because that's just a sort of a temporary solution. Yeah. I was only thinking I was thinking on that second goal. Could, would that not have been a red could well have been. I don't think if Tim Ream brings him down. If Harrison Reed does, though, Harrison if, if Reed, Reed can't. does. It's a red. Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of one of the things that st- stuck out to me as well was that Bristol City, like many other teams this season, have left those two strikers up top throughout the whole game, regardless of the situation, whether it's a corner, whether it's open play. They've stuck those two strikers on Reeman and Tosin. And that's been a blueprint for anyone that has played against us this season and the teams that have caused us issues, especially when you look especially at Sheffield United, they kept Billy Sharp and uh, his strike partner up front the whole time and they caused us real issues. And it happened again yesterday with those two strikers that were that were almost goal-hanging on, on, our, centre, on our centre-halves and we are going to have to do something about it. Yeah, it's great that we're scoring 6-7, goals every single game, but you know, there has to be something done when we go into the Premier League because that would just be, it would just be bread and butter for those strikers. If Ben, if Ben don't get No, when, no, when, when, <laughs> when. Um, Adam, let's go on to some goals then for Fulham because Fulham did manage to turn around uh, a losing position. Uh, Fulham had kind of managed to do it obviously once with the Mitrovic header. It was a really nice cross and uh, a little nudge from, from Mitrovic, which nestles in the corner. The most impressive one for me though was the second. It was such an instant response that could have been a real knockout blow for Fulham. I felt like that could have dented our confidence because they must know as well as we do that our record at you know restoring leads is is shocking to say the least. Um, but the fact that we managed to do it instantly was was really really impressive. It was one of those kung fu Kenny um, massive crosses that he absolutely loves to do. Just booting it into the box, the kind of falling ball, which always seems to magnetically attract itself towards Mitrovic's head, a lovely knockdown. And then, and then Cabano just tapping in um, for, from Mitro's layoff. That was so important to the context of the game. If Fulham have even had left that three, four, five minutes longer, suddenly I think yesterday becomes a massive slog and it was just the instant nature of it which man which gave Fulham the kind of energy and the kind of belief that right no we can't get past this Bristol City team lads we just need to believe in ourselves yeah we really kicked on from there and I, I think that if we if we were to have not scored that goal you wait another 10 minutes it it plays out a, a narrative that we've all seen happen regularly at Fulham in that we go two goals uh, what well, we go one goal behind, we've we've conceded twice. We can see that we're not going to get back in this game, and that Bristol are probably going to, you know, keep the ball, waste some time, and get through the game. But as you say, with Tete's cross, it's sometimes it. This is why I love Kenny Tete playing. Anyone who's been to a game with me can um, vouch for the fact I really love the guy. But if you absolutely wallop the ball enough times into the right area, it will, as you say, <laughs> mag- magnetically go to Mitrovic's head. And there is a part of me that if. Anthony Robinson could do a similar kind of cross, it we would be absolutely lethal. Um 
But it was it was the most important goal that we scored because it got us back on track. And all of our goals were important for a different reason in the fact like, oh, they kept us in the game. But especially after that goal as well, that's where we start to thunder ahead with, you know, Carvalho scoring potentially my favourite goal that I've seen him score at Fulham. And it kind of signalled there were a lot of fans around me that weren't happy with Carvalho saying, why is he playing? He's not influencing the game. And then he goes and does that. Without that goal, without the kind of release of pressure and the fact that we think actually we can go and win this game, Carvalho probably doesn't try that. And none of the none of the goals um, after that for four, five and six even, even come. Yeah, very similar to a, a goal that Fulham scored against uh, Leeds at the beginning of last season. It was that massive, wild Tete cross, just kind of almost falling over that he just wallops into the box. And it just has this kind of um, projection that just seems to really worry defences almost like it gets caught in the wind or something like that and as I say Mitrovic just absolutely thrives on it um Dan that Fabio goal just beautiful it, it just it the, the paths just seem to open for Fabio Carvalho they don't know whether he's going to pass it shoot it um and it wasn't right into the corner but still a fantastic finish um from him it, his slaloming through midfield is is just a joy to behold and I think it's that little technique that he can do where he can just jink it left, jink it right, jink it left, jink it right. That means that I think he's got a ceiling far and above the championship. Yeah, definitely. I think it was Jack who was on the, on the last podcast saying that one of the things we've been missing from Fabio since he came back is him picking it up on the half turn and just running at defenses. And, you know, it's horrible as a defender when you've got someone who is that nimble, that agile, just who's able to turn at such speed and, and seemingly without losing speed while he does it. Um, and it just causes, it caused them so many problems. I think this is where we probably should have exploited them earlier is that with them playing uh, a 10 effectively in behind the two instead of one in front of the three centre-backs, there was that space for Fabio to exploit. And I think he did it brilliantly. And then, yeah, the, the finish, I mean, from the hammy end, the view from straight behind it is beautiful. As soon as it leaves his foot, you think, oh, that, that's in. And it's, I, I'm, I'm really happy for him because I think maybe unfairly he's had a little bit of criticism over the past few weeks just because he hasn't been scoring or assisting like we saw before, you know, in that first part of the season. I don't think he necessarily he's played badly. He's just not necessarily impacted the game in the same way he was. So I think it's really important for him that he managed to get on the score sheet today with such a good goal as well. Yeah. Uh, and let's come on to goals four and five, Ben. Mitrovic yeah. now has 27 goals in 24 games. Um, as Adam referenced earlier, Ivan Tony's record is it's done. It's done. It's not going to not be broken. Uh, Mitrovic will be um, the record championship scorer. Of course, not the record second tier goal scorer, which is Guy Whittingham for Portsmouth way back in the day on 42 goals. He's still got some way to, to a guy is not yet quaking in his boots, but Ivan might as well just, you know, go down the post office, put the trophy in a box, bubble wrap it and send it to Motspur Park for attention of Alexander Mitrovic. Um, the fourth goal so easy. What like what, what, I I can't understand a team that sees a corner right. Fulham have been good from corners. Yeah. Okay, right. Who's our top two or three? We should mark here. Maybe you're thinking. A, I genuinely got. Maybe you're thinking a Tim Ream if he's in the box or a Tosin. But yeah. surely number one, just put someone on Alexander Mitrovic. Put Thomas Callas on Alexander Mitrovic. It was some kind of zonal marking system that just 
did not work. It was so textbook, literally on the penalty spot pretty much. And Mitrovic just had to rise and jump and head it in. It was, it was embarrassing really. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that we, we talked about with Marco Silva when he first came in, I think there was a lot of intrepidation around his ability to get Fulham to perform from set pieces, both at the, at the defensive end of the pitch and also when we're attacking. And actually we've been masters from a set pieces this season. Obviously Peter wrote a whole piece on how good Fulham were at set pieces earlier on in the season. Obviously you can check that out on the athletic um, if you want to. Um, but yeah, I thought that yesterday it's, it was so easy for Mitrovic just to run onto that header and, and, and rise above that defender and, and power it in. And it almost is like at times Bristol City were digging their own grave a little bit. They didn't they didn't mark him at all. I think a, a lot of their defending at times was just basically vibes and just see what happens. Um, and yeah, I think it was just, um, it, it was a really easy goal for Mitrovic. That is bread and butter for someone of, of his quality and uh, especially aerially as well. And I think that his finish after that for the hat-trick uh, on the left foot was absolutely sublime. Uh, it really underlines how much of a potent striker he is to be hitting a finish of that velocity into that postage stamp at the top corner of, of the net um, on his weaker foot on the half turn. And I think that that's something that we had potentially been missing from Mitrovic at times where his ability to shoot and turn on his left was was lacking, especially at times last year. Um, you know, we mentioned the amount of block shots that Mitrovic had uh, and it was about the time that he added that to his game. And of course, this is very, very harsh criticism for a guy that scored 27 league goals already and he's almost certainly going to go on to hit 35 plus, in my opinion. And he said, guys, record is is nowhere near being broken yet, but that's 15 goals. He could probably do it in the next 10 matches if he carries on at this rate. So I think he actually probably is a little bit worried there. Uh, but for me, this is if we look to the future here, this is a guy that's banging form of a manager that loves him, that is going to cause defences huge manner of problems, whether he's in the Championship or the Premier League. He's going to be in the Premier League, just FYI. Um, but obviously, he's a guy that's also caused so much of an issue at, at international level as well. It's, been, it's, it's very difficult. Like Obviously, when you mention to anyone you're a Fulham fan, they always say, oh, Mitrovic, you know, he's so good in the Championship, never good in the Premier League, never been good in the Premier League for Newcastle either. And you're just like, the guy scored double figures for us in a season where we were absolute turd and then was benched last season. What is he meant to do? And I think that if we if we do get up there, he's going to be fundamental to, to our survival and then fundamental to us kicking on to the next stage. He is so streaky though, Adam. It is my only concern with Mitrovic. He just is the most confidence player. You see, actually, he had a very similar shot or he's in a very similar area against Sheffield United in the final minute of the game that we lost. And Mitrovic hits that shot against the bar. And then a confident Mitrovic yesterday just seems to find that inch or two below the bar and find the top corner. There is just a different Mitrovic. You can see it in his own, just the way he strolls around the pitch. There's such a difference between confident Mitrovic and just like frustrated, I need a goal Mitrovic. And it has always been the worry. And, and it's a worry with Fulham a bit more generally, considering how streaky we seem to be as a team, that... If we did go up, and it's still an if for me, Ben, that when <laughs> that I just <laughs> I worry about Fulham when they're not scoring thirteen goals in a week. Yeah, I 
My difference with Mitrovic this season, I noticed, though, is that I think what we used to find is he used to drop out of games when he wasn't getting service. And we used to blame, I remember so many podcasts, we talk about how do we get the ball to Mitrovic more. And what he's done this season is he's gone, cool, I'll go and get the ball. And I'm gonna. he's going to get his confidence, like those little bits of, you know, he's just going to knock it off to one of our wingers and then run into the box. He gets his confidence from other areas of the pitch rather than just shooting. So that's where I seem to notice that when there's games where we used to see Mitrovic isn't interested, he's not getting involved in the game or the team aren't getting him involved in the game. I think Silva's got him in a system where he always feels pivotal to it, no matter where he is and where he feels he's not getting the ball. He can come in, get the ball, and he's got so much better at being a provider. Like, I always feel like Mitrovic will probably get at least one assist a game as well now. And that's where I think Mitrovic has changed because in the Premier League, he's not going to get that many chances every single game, but he will get that many touches to be able to, you know, help the rest of our team thrive. So hopefully that will be the main difference that, when we go up next season, um, he's actually able to influence games a little bit more and get that confidence. Let's come on to Niskins Cabano. Uh, he got Fulham's sixth yesterday. That touch, Dan, is dirty, isn't it? That is just takes out the entire Bristol City defence. And it was one of those moments where you were like, please finish this, Niskins, because if you do, this will be absolutely golden. But so many times I've seen Niskins do a magic touch and then belt it into H7. This time he found the far post and, oh, it was just sublime. And I, I was chatting with George Singh yesterday and we were saying... Expected chats. I expected there were some expected chats. He's going to hate you for that. Um, (laughs) He was, you know, saying, can Cabano do it in the Prem? He was unsure. I'm confident because I just see this knee skins. And if he has confidence, a bit like the rest of the team, I just feel like he will hurt some Premier League fullbacks as well. I just think that his level has gone up so much. Or is that foolish recency bias thinking from me i think the, the one thing that is for sure is that i think niskins definitely listens to the podcast because i think he heard you three four months ago sammy <laughs> and he, he's just spent the rest of the season being like right Sam, sammy james this is for you um <laughs> and he's just been going on oh he can't finish oh well watch me finish from this angle wasn't it when i said that um if he could finish he would win the ballon d'or yeah well here we go this yeah. is this is season one of that route um <laughs> he's no, got the, my vote <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that goal yesterday was actually i, I didn't celebrate that i went straight hands on head and just yeah, me too. looked at the pitch it was just one of those beautiful moments the touch it's, it's one of the things he actually does it all over the pitch his first touch at times is, yeah, is it's ludicrous sublime. um but the finish yeah to, to to it's a very tight angle to go across the keeper like that on the on the volley it's brilliant from from Niskins. um whether he can do it in the prem uh it's a tricky one i think I think there's he's definitely at the very least an impact sub, right? There's there's no. big merit in having someone who can come off the bench <laughs> and run at people. I'm sorry, Sammy. I'm really, really Sam, sorry. Sammy head in hands. <laughs> Sammy's bubble was just well and truly burst. I'm not gonna go into a room and say, Neeskins, well done this year. Next year you're an impact sub. I'm not doing it. I'm, but Sammy, I'm, I'm would out. you would you say like as a, as a genuine footballer in terms of ability and what they provide to the team, that he is on the same level as Harry Wilson, a player who I think is capable of being a first choice winger in the Premier League. 
Harry Wilson's class. I feel they've been both as instrumental this season. They have, they have, but and I they complement they complement the forward up, line yeah. well, as in like it all works together. I don't maybe on his own individual basis are they you know who's the better winger? I would yeah, I would maybe say Wilson, but I think when you find a system this good, you've surely got to trust it. Yeah, no, I I think it's right, and, and I love Nieskensi. I mean, he's top three favorite players at the club for me at the moment. He's just and he always has been. He's just a brilliant human as well as a very good footballer, and it Who would be great. Oh, Mitro, without a doubt. Mm. Um, third one's a tricky one. Are you teed that up like you had them already? I think TC, TC, TC. Just vibes as a player. Um, He was brilliant as well yesterday. Bar the first goal where he gets rolled so easily. I saw saw Josh Windass on Instagram giving him a little bit of stick for that as well (laughs) on Instagram, which was quite funny. Um, But yeah, he was just... Uh, sensational yesterday Ben and there is a debate as to whether Seri comes back in I'm not trying to be like anti-Seri here but it is uh, I I just think we're in a very fortunate position Tom Kennedy clearly cannot do two matches a week full 90s we're in a very privileged position to have two players that are kind of in the same boat in that sense same kind of ages but Tom Kennedy's return has been so important to us yeah, he's been brilliant ever since he came back to us. And it's such a boost when you get a player of that quality coming back after a long-term injury that's taken playing football like a duck to water. He's been he's been instrumental in, in so many of our performances. And just such a sublime player. I think literally, I've said it on the podcast before, and I've said it to some friends and they always, they always say it's a bit weird, but I think Tom Kearney is probably my favourite player that I've had to watch over the years. You know, when he used to glide around the pitch in, in 16, 17, and then that level on 17, 18, and 18, 19, like the the playoff years, he was different gravy. He was unbelievable. The amount of things he could do with the ball. Like it, it, a guy that plays so laid back, it it, it almost reflects his character. And I, I just love that he's not afraid to take chances when he passes the ball. I think there are times where a couple of seasons ago, I maybe have given Tom some criticism that I think at the time was justified. But I think now if you put it in context and you realise what when he's he's playing for an injury that big, that of course you're going to play within yourself a little bit. You're going you're gonna to be a couple of yards slower. You're going to pass the ball a little bit more conservatively and you're not going to drive on because you're worried about injuring yourself further. But I feel like now he's... He's come back, he's comfortable that that injury's gone. He's taking those risks, he's driving on on the half turn and he's given us that impetus back in mid in midfield. And I said in the last podcast I was on, I love Seri to bits, I think he's a, he's a brilliant player and I think that actually he gets a lot of unjust criticism. But recently, his performances have been very um, stale is too strong, but a little bit um, plain in that he hasn't taken enough risks. He hasn't driven full and forward from that low base. He hasn't taken decisive action with his passing. He hasn't set anything up. He hasn't, he's been mostly too slow, I would say. Um, and I think Tom Kearney coming back in has given us a bit of a breath of fresh air there. And I think that that also goes for Niskins, who we, t- who we just talked about, that actually I think that that break has given him the ability to come back, recharge and refresh. Because you look at the games against Luton and the following game, which I think was Sheffield United, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And he wasn't good in either of them. Luton, he was far too deep, didn't take anyone on with a ball, didn't show any bursts of pace. Sheffield United, he was much of a muchness. He was just out there for, for, to make up the numbers. But since since he's come back, I think he's been excellent. And the same for Wilson. Obviously, 
you have three goals and t- uh, three assists and two goals in the previous game. A lovely assist in this game, and I think he's just they've really benefited from having that break. And we did have a concern over all of our players whether they'd come back and be a bit ring rusty. Obviously, thirteen goals in two games is not the case at all. No, I guess with wingers as well, that you will always find that one side's just a bit more profitable than the other. As long as you've got two options on either the left or either the right and you could go, okay, right, we need to mark Wilson, but then Cabano ends up with all the space and and ends up in a quite a good 1v1 or maybe the other way round. As long as you've got both sides being prolific, I think that can be, you know, you sure get Sheffield United, Chris Basham did a number on Niskins Cabano, just mm. absolutely smacked into him time after time after time. And he got no joy. And, you know, Niskins didn't get all that much joy, I didn't think, in the Reading game. And Wilson had a little bit more of it. But then yesterday it swung back over to Niskins. I think it's such a, a good position to be in. Obviously, Fulham uh, shut up shop a little bit after 6-2. The crowd were chanting, we want seven. But you could tell that Fulham um, were definitely saving themselves. One thing, Adam, I was a bit surprised that Marco didn't make a few more changes a little bit earlier. I could see that players were struggling. You know, Mitro was was hobbling around just before he went off. Wilson picked up a non- although he'd end up doing the full 90 minutes. You could tell that Tom Kearney was knackered by the time he came off on 75. I just couldn't quite understand why at 5-2 up yesterday at half time, Silver's not making a few changes. He knows we've got a game on Tuesday. He knows we've got to get a trip to Stoke after that. The game's done at 5-2. I, I, I know if Bristol get one back, we're a bit nervous, but it's a three goal lead. I think Whilst the game was done, I don't think the players were. And I think that they felt that they could go out and maybe get a few more. And I think that's why, if if it were me, I probably would have given them another 10, 15 minutes after the second half, see if they could kind of continue that same vein of form. I was really surprised about Mitrovic staying on that long. Um, I'm assuming that he said, I'm I'm here to get four. And that's, that's what I'm wait, waiting for. But I wouldn't want to take him off in the form that he was on either. But he just, he looks knackered. I wonder whether looking towards Tuesday, if there are some changes to be made there, given those players did stay out, as you say, Harry Wilson for the full 90 and Mitrovic came off pretty late considering. Um, I wonder if there's some changes to be made there um, ahead of that game. Mm, Indeed. All right, we're going to take a break and then afterwards going to get into your questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Dan Cook. Hello, Sammy. Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy. And Alan Vercarson. Good morning. Right, let's do some questions then. A few of these we did touch on in part one, but always nice to, to delve a little bit deeper. I'm going to start with Daniel at Read All Over, whose profile picture is Maxime Lamarchon um, with the beer and the uh, playoff winning medal, which I uh, absolutely love to see. Uh, oh, he says, you, Maxime. Do you think we really miss a K-Mac-esque DM? Pretty much every goal we seem to concede at the moment is quick counter-attacks, which cause everyone to panic. Jarms, uh, I know we did touch on this briefly in the first part. It, it's it's Harry, it's Harrison Reed's kind of 
position on the pitch. I think Harrison Reed was brilliant yesterday. He was tireless in his endeavours. And certainly I think after the second goal, he really did try to stop that avenue for Bristol City. But he almost thrives, I feel like, Harrison Reed in a team that's struggling. I feel like it must be harder as a DM when actually your threats only come one or two times a match. You think back to some of the best Harrison Reed games last year, it was when he was under constant, you know, pressure to do that. It's a bit like a goalkeeper, you know, sometimes it's a bit easier to be a goalkeeper for a team that's at the bottom because you're making saves every second. It's a bit harder when you have to pull off a world-class save when it's only once a game. Is that, is that a fair analogy? Yes, I think so. Um, I, I think actually that Reed has had a little bit of a troubling season for himself. And I think that when we go up next year, when, uh, that you will see Harrison Reed really start to come to the fore again because there is going to be more emphasis on his position. I think that obviously the question about a K-Mac replacement, you are talking to someone who is a K-Mac aficionado, or someone that loves a big, tall, rangy defensive midfielder to sit there and break up play and spray passes and someone that absolutely loves Busquets and think that thought that back in the day he was absolutely the best midfielder in the world but there you go you know give me some flack if you want to but I, I do miss McDonald I miss his influence I think that he he's a superb player and I think when you when you think back to those Jukanovic teams for me he is always the one that sticks out as that rock that kept the whole team together I do feel I feel like there is an element to the, this team that is missing and that element is that sort of defensive midfielder. But um, I think that to your point, Sammy, we don't really feel the need for it at the moment because we keep the ball so well, we're so attacking, we're so free scoring that you don't really need that kind of player in there. And I think it would be a luxury to have someone of Kevin's ilk or play style back in the team. I do, I do think it's actually a type of player that we're going to need to get in next year. Um, when we're in the Premier League because there is going to be so much more pressure on this team. We are going to have to stop things at source. We are going to have to have a player that's going to be able to break up and pass. And I think when you look at some of the teams that are down the bottom end of the Premier League this season, they almost, all of them, have a player of that mould. You look at Brighton, they have someone like Bissouma who can break up the play and, and then start doing something with it. Um, they have... Um, Enoch and Wepu, who, who they brought in this year, is probably a little bit more of a... He has a little bit more to his game than being sat there, but it, he, you know where I'm coming from. You, you have players all the way across the league that do that. You have Decore as well, who was at Watford and Everton, who does that. And I think you are that is a staple of the Premier League. You do need that kind of player in there that's, that's able to break up play at source, to pass the ball, that has that athleticism, that strength and that power. But can Harrison Reed not be that player? I think Harrison Reed is a supplement to that player. He's not that player. Um, I think we saw that at times last year where he was powered out, like out muscled at times. I get he's really he's like a terrier, and I, I don't get me wrong. This is not a criticism of Harrison Reed from me. I love him. I think he's a f- bloody brilliant player, awesome player. Um, but I do think that in a Premier League, just the way I, I think it's just the way the Premier League is. You need that. You need that player now. Um, and especially if Fulham are going to go in there with four two three one, where the two are going to be quite exposed. We saw it at times with Parker when you have two in midfield in the Premier League. It's very, very difficult to make it work. I think where the, the difference comes between a Harrison Reid and a, a Kevin McDonald is that 
Harrison Reed is, without being necessarily quick, he's very mobile, right? He covers ground really well, which I think he reads a game well, but because he knows he can cover ground, he doesn't have to have perfect positioning. Whereas you look at someone like Kevin McDonald, who you, you'd struggle to find players who read the game better than Kevin McDonald did with during that period. And it's because I think partially because he knows that he can't cover ground particularly quickly. So he needs to be in the right place at all times. And that's what Kevin McDonald used to do. And he used to just sit in front of that back four and he used to cut out passes and then distribute. And it was incredible. And I think Harrison Reed does that in a, a way, but I think he relies on his mobility to get him out of situations when he's not always in the right position. And I think that's where the difference comes. Yeah. And I guess also then you've got a, a slowish Tim Ream uh, at mm. centre back. So if Harrison Reed's then caught up the pitch, and Kevin McDonald said in quite a lot of interviews, you know, it was like it was great being with TC and Steffi Hansen, but there were a lot of times I had to get them out of jail. That is a hard oh, yeah. role to play, and and TC, as we know, is not famously great at defending. I mean, not famously fast either, TC. Yeah. So if you do find uh, a, a player breaking through midfield, as we've seen now several times this season, I guess also coupled with a, a slow Tim Ream we often are going to be in a few issues and maybe that's an area that could improve next season, presuming, yeah. you know, a Tim Ream replacement comes in if we go up. Um, I mean, when? we did discuss this earlier as well, when? Adam. Tom asks, do you think we don't get enough bookings? We're 22nd in the league for yellow cards, which given the way we play, you'd expect us to be higher up considering the number of counterattacks against us will be higher than other sides who aren't as vulnerable to the counter and I know that Dan says it's not a complete solution to get more yellow cards but we're ultimately looking to stop one to two counter attacks a game we can afford to get a few more yellow cards I think it's difficult to get yellow cards um, unless it's for over-celebrating at the minute. There's not, there's not really very many reasons to. As you say, there's, there's the odd counter-attack where I think we could take people down, but we still probably end up leading the fair play league because realistically we're spending the majority of our time attacking the opposition. And I don't think you can get yellow cards for we're already taking the piss. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I, I would actually, I would like to see, and I was literally, I was screaming at Harrison Reed just take him out because we could all see that it was going to lead to a goal. And whether it was Harrison Reed, whether it was Tim Ream, I do think that at, in certain areas of the pitch, we need to be a little bit more aggressive and we need to know when we can take that chance. But once we have taken it, particularly early in a game, I think what Marco has stamped out is the stupid yellow card that leads to a stupid free kick just outside the box that usually leads to a goal. Like There were just as many times where us being aggressive under previous managers put us in similar trouble. Um, I think there has to be a middle ground and it, definitely when it comes to the Premier League, there's no way that you can get away with being as nice as we were. We'd again be relegated and people saying, yeah, but Fulham are a nice club, aren't they? They play really nice football, but they got relegated because they were too nice. I think, you know, the bringing in of a CDM might help with that, but it's a team mentality that would have to become more aggressive next year because teams will just take advantage of that. I honestly think that Tim Ream's too much of a gent to just shithouse someone. 
I just think he's just too much of a nicer guy. It's just not in his nature. He's just like, I haven't got time to be fouling you on the halfway line like all those other centre-backs because I am just morally superior um, <laughs> to all of you. Um, Fulham Transfers asks, we are one of the most potent sides from corners now after years of being very poor. What do you think ha- has changed? Uh, I mean, the stats, Ben, are 13 goals from set pieces this season for Fulham. That's 20% of our goals. Um, we've conceded four from set pieces, which is 19% of our goals, which is kind of the ratio that you'd expect. Um, but considering how many goals Fulham are scoring full stop for it to be 20% from set pieces is actually pretty incredible. It was one of the things that made me tear my hair out last year was that Fulham weren't more potent from set pieces because I was thinking... We were relegated. We were excited in the relegation side, uh, in the relegation zone. We need to be much more potent from set pieces. I think we scored one from memory last season. Yeah. Um, it is nice, but what is it about Fulham this season that just we seem to be scoring more? I mean, we could have scored two yesterday. Mitrovic actually missed a very, very easy header from a corner when we were 1 0 down as well. Well, I think the obvious thing to point out is the the quality of delivery this year has, has absolutely flown through the roof in terms of the level. Um, you look at Harry Wilson, I think his set piece quality is is unrivaled in this team. We're lucky that we have him and Kenny Tete who are great at crossing the ball. And I think that that obviously helps when you have a delivery that has as much power and accuracy as Harry Wilson's does, that it makes it so easy for someone like Tosin, Mitrovic, Reem, et al. to go and attack that ball. And I think that finally someone has understood how to get the best out of Tosin Adarabayo at set pieces as well. I think last year we said in the podcast so many times, this guy's six foot six, six foot five, um, and we are not doing anything with him. You know, there was a period where I used to float the ball to the back post and he'd head it back across the six yard box and inevitably Fulham would mess it up. But I think this year, to see uh, Tosin Mitrovic and Reem all attacking the set pieces has really been a string to our bow. And this is what happens when you you try and win the league like this and you go back up into the Premier League is that you're going to have to have multiple strings to your bow because you have to be able to score from different situations and set being potent from set pieces is almost certainly what has kept Burnley alive for nearly 10 years. Um, and I think you're seeing a, a dramatic decrease in the amount of goals that they get from set pieces now, which is why they're floundering so hard because they can't score from any other situation. Where this year, Fulham obviously have added that string to their bow and we're now looking much better. Obviously, one of the, the other things to touch on here as well is the blocking that we spoke about earlier on in the season. That... That was that was great for us. It created so much space. It allowed our defend our defenders and attackers to attack that ball, and it caused so many issues for opposition players. Why that's declined somewhat recently, it was great for us. Um, and now we've found other ways to score from set pieces. I think defending set pieces, we're slightly timid at times, and I think that we do need to be a bit more aggressive with them. But that comes with comes with uh, being like a, a zonal and mic, like a sort of like mixed zonal system in that sometimes players are a little bit unaware of what they should be doing, whether they should be attacking the ball or they should be attacking a space or the man. And I think that that is something we may have to tighten next year when we're in the Prem. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. 
I think, Jarms, what you're from what you're sort of saying is what I think the whole overall thing is that we just seem to have a plan finally yeah, from set pieces. That is it. Actually, you should have just taken that whole segment, edit it out, and just have me <laughs> saying, We have a plan now. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and I just think, but when you look at it, like as we said with the blocking, like it was working really well. But I think teams were becoming very aware that one of Fulham's whole sort of set piece plans was this blocking system. And I can't remember which team it was we played, but their manager had actually spoken to the referee before the game to tell Steve him to look Cooper for it. Steve against uh, Forrest and then he still, yeah. we still managed to score a we goal still, from it. We still got away with, with it, but I think that Marco Silva tuned in there and he thought, right, we might be running a risk continuing with this now. And yeah. I think he deserves full credit for, for changing it up, for having different options from set pieces. You can't just have one go-to set piece because teams are, are in tune now a days to analysing set pieces, both in attacking and defensively. And they will spot that and they will find a way to deal with it. And so I think it's so important that we've not stuck to our guns and we've actually changed it up and uh, with a bit of variety. It just seems so simple though. That's, you know, the blocking thing, I was like looking at it and going like, wow, that's really clever. We're doing these intrinsic cutting off people's runs and then we get a free runner and that. And the last few goals that we've been scoring from set pieces, like Mitrovic's fourth, it doesn't look particularly clever. It's just a nice cross and a header unmarked. Uh, same for Tosin's goal against Reading. I was just like, and, and even the, the Kenny Tete goal against Reading was just like, well, if you're not going to mark our best player, then like, does that require much of a plan? Or is there some clever movement that I'm not seeing because I'm some football heathen? I don't know. I but- thought the te- Kenny Tete goal against Reading was brilliant. I love that yeah. goal. Yeah. Was, oh, his, cele- his celebration was just the, the sweetest thing ever. I think Farrell summed it up and we were in the Oak Furniture Land car park afterwards. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Farrell just said, this guy's been in the Champions League semi-final and he was celebrating scoring the fifth goal away at the Medeski Stadium like he was winning the Champions League. He was so excited. Um, it was just a really, really sweet moment. Um, the final one from Simon Gilson, who said, says, isn't it just plain nice to watch us and go thinking, yeah, we're effing awesome at the moment. It won't last when, in brackets, if we go up. So let's just really, really when. enjoy when. what we have right now. Uh, that I didn't add those brackets. Simon added those brackets. So Simon predicted the future of this podcast and, uh, and, and said it perfectly. But yeah, it is just bloody awesome um, to watch this team at the moment. And Jack says, I genuinely think this might be my favourite Fulham team ever just in terms of the pure joy they give me to watch Uh, do you feel the same way Adam I'll come to you I do however I feel like it would need the entirety of the season for them to become my favourite Fulham team at this point in time we've we've had half seasons where they've been absolutely sublime and we've loved watching those teams play football however you know, it's the whole season that really counts for me. Um, I think they've got some of my favourite players that we've ever had at Fulham. I think Mitrovic in the form that he's in is one of my favourite players. Tom Kearney in the form that he is currently in. So if you were to capture the last two games, then I'd say absolutely, we're probably there. But I think we need to judge that at the end of the season because until we actually achieve that end goal, when we go to the Premier League, I'm not I'm not going to put them there as my favourite Fulham team ever. I think you can caveat it with, it's maybe not the favourite Fulham team ever, but I would struggle to think of a time when I have looked forward to every game as much as I have this season and turned up and and just enjoyed 
the whole experience. Now you look at, I guess you look back at sort of when we're in the Europa League and the excitement of that, yes, but this is every league game sort of turning up and going, we could see something great again today. And it's really fun. It's really enjoyable. And I think that's one thing that's a big plus in this team. Yeah, well, on that point, we're going to preview Tuesday's 0-0 draw against Birmingham City (laughs) at Craven Cottage. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Dan, Ben and Adam. Let's look ahead to Birmingham on Tuesday. And we can't start without talking about the Lee Bowyer clip, which has gone viral, which is the reaction of Lee Bowyer after he's told by presumably the Birmingham comms man that Fulham won 6-2 yesterday. If you haven't seen it, I've got a little clip for you. Finally, a quick turnaround to Fulham now, the rearranged game. They've won by six goals to two this afternoon, so a very different challenge to prepare for. Yeah, so what's that, 13 in, in two games? Yeah, looking forward to that then. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't get from the audio is the look on his face when yeah. he actually, the penny drops, because he doesn't know that Fulham have won 6-2 um, when that interview is being played out. Um, it's astonishing. Thank you, Lee Boya, for giving me a, a real good laugh yesterday when I saw that clip. Um, I joked about it before the break, Ben, but yeah. I mean, this does scream Fulham struggling to score against a side that really we should be scoring a hatful against. Um, Birmingham in pretty terrible form. Uh, haven't won since November, and that was an edgy 1-0 win against Blackburn. Uh, it's five without a win uh, in the championship. Three of those defeats, some of them pretty heavy, including a 4-0 defeat to, to Blackburn just before Christmas, uh, also a 3-1 defeat away against Millwall. So everything is aligning for Fulham to go and produce something magic again. But my worry is just with, you know, you saw those knocks that the Fulham players were getting towards the end of the game yesterday against Bristol City, just coupled with Fulhamish tendencies. I don't know. I'm a little bit worried, but maybe I needn't be. Is this analysis really lazy or is it so it's very easy to say that it's either going to be 90 minutes of the lowest low block you've ever seen in your life or Birmingham are going to get absolutely obliterated I don't know that I feel like that is very sit on the fence analysis for me there but uh, with a a Bowie team always Bowie teams are very very difficult to beat all the time and I think that you never get a Bowie team that's ever rolled over and been beaten and they've never put up a fight. Yes, I think that there have been scorelines that you alluded to earlier where they've been beaten 4-0 or you know, they've edged past teams 1-0. But ultimately, Bowyer is a man that loves structure. He loves to make games difficult for the opposition. And I think that Tuesday's game will, will be very, very difficult for us because they're going to come out and they're going to want to fight. And Bowyer is going to be a person that is going to relish trying to stop a team that scored 13 goals in two matches and will be that guy that's going to will set out to shithouse his way to a nil-nil or a one-nil victory away from home. And it's almost like Peaky Blinders FC are going to come down and try and steal what they can from Fulham. I mean, Dan, it's a very different Birmingham City to the one that we faced back in September. Obviously, we had a lovely trip to St. Andrews. We won 4-1. Harry Wilson was magic um, that night. And I remember a certain Nathaniel Chalaber having a, having a lovely game as well. Birmingham was sitting fourth 
when we played that game and had the second best defensive record in the championship. Only ourselves um, were better than them at that point. And then they got beaten 4-1 by us and then lost 3-0 to Peterborough the following game, which kind of killed that early season momentum for them. Since then, it's been a really, really tough season. They had a nice period at the end of October where they did get three wins in a row. Other than that, they've barely won a game since we played them. So you've got that little streak where they won three in a row. And then since then, it's been a real slog. They got dumped out of the cup by Plymouth, which actually considering their form in League One um, is actually not all that surprising. Did pick up a plucky draw yesterday, though, away at, at Preston, a, a late goal from from Hogan, which which will give them a bit of confidence going into this because as we know, Preston's not an easy place to go this season. Yeah, I think when we played them at St Andrews, uh, I think I just checked the seventh game of the season and we did a real number on them. I think that was the first moment that Marco Silva really showed his nous because we changed how we played completely. We understood that Birmingham would throw their wing backs up high and we just sat back and exploited the space they left in behind. And I think as Jam said, I don't think we'll get the same sort of thing that we saw then because I think Lee Bowie will be very set on if he can come and keep a clean sheet at Craven Cottage that is his ultimate aim and I think that it would be foolish for him to set up in exactly the same way they did at St Andrews I think where Birmingham's season pretty much faltered is the injury to Tahith Chong I think he was uh, at the heart of everything good about them because he was that connection between midfield and attack and he was doing very much what we see sort of Fabio at his best do which is picking the ball up and just driving at teams and I think without him in the team I think it makes you know they've really struggled you look who they've got up top and I think they could cause us issues but I um, you know Lukas Jukovic is an absolute menace Um, and the aerial bombardment that we faced last time we played them saw probably Tosin's best game of the season. He was immense at St Andrews. Uh, and I think we need a similar performance from him because I think they will just look to get the ball into the box early, win headers and just create a little bit of chaos. Um, Adam, any changes that you'd like to see from Fulham? Uh, we referenced some of the uh, the fitness issues that we might face. We've got another big game away at Stoke on Saturday. And there were quite a few, you know, the bench was strong yesterday there are some options on there would you expect to see someone like maybe Decadova Reed coming in and starting this match I I wouldn't say expect if everybody's come through the game largely unscathed and they're all feeling fit and training well then I don't see an issue to to go with an unchanged lineup but if it was to be anyone I'd probably say uh, Decadova Reed coming in for really any of the three behind Mitrovic I don't expect that he would be putting Meniz in for Mitrovic at this point in time I think that if we are ahead in the game I think he might give Mitrovic a bit more of a rest in that one the only other thing that I could see potentially happening um, is that you know, if if Kearney struggled through that game and it, it might be a case that we maybe see Chalabar uh, deployed in that game from the start um, in that instance but I wouldn't expect changes I wouldn't also though be too upset if we did see a couple of changes for Tuesday night it's a long season and we're going to have to use our squad so we shouldn't always see you know changes in the lineup as a, as a negative yeah I, I wouldn't be too upset if it was Chalabar in for Kearney. Kearney can always be on the bench and always be deployed in the second half let's say we're struggling to break down the low block or annoyingly 
Birmingham take the lead and we need to get back into it, I wouldn't be desperately upset to then see Kenny come on. He's still an option, I'm sure, if, if he's fit. But also, if you can give Kearney a week's rest before a Stoke game that's a really, really tricky visit up to um, the Potters, then then that might be a nice option. Um, but as you say, hard to rotate a winning side, isn't it? Particularly a side that's won so many games. But I, I, I'm personally on the, on the boat of that. I know you shouldn't change a winning team, but ultimately there's a lot of games to play in a short space of time. And you have a squad, you know, if, if maybe, I mean, maybe the Joe Bryan for Anthony Robinson is a little less necessary I think that Anthony Robinson does have the minutes in the tank and that would maybe be an area that I think is going a bit too far but Chalaber for Kearney given what we know of Kearney's injury history um, seems like a sensible one to me right that should do it for today's podcast we'll go again on Tuesday Uh, we'll see if Fulham can keep up the goal scoring Um, it does feel inevitable but also you know this is a very different Fulham team and we do seem to win in streaks so fingers crossed we can make it three in a row and of course full horn on uh, the podcast on Thursday uh, if we do win against Birmingham which surely is is all the motivation that any of us need. Um, Adam, before we go, we just need to name the podcast. What would you like to go with? I'm going to go with Ben Cook with 6-2 Remember. Very good. Okay. Thank you very much for all your three word reviews and all your questions today. Uh, We'll be going through the emails on the Thursday club uh, with myself, Jack and Peter. And uh, there have been some more, this will catch on chants that have been coming into the inbox, including some with voice memos as well. So we can be going through some of your chants. There's been a very strong reaction to the super trooper chants. Uh, that was in Thursday's podcast. I didn't hear it in the Hammersmith end yesterday though. So it hasn't fully caught on yet, but I'm giving it time. I'm giving it hope. It's definitely the, uh, the strongest of the contenders so far. Thank you to my guest today, Dan Cook. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure, Sammy. Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. Off to bed you go. Yep. Thank you, Sammy. Enjoyed this. Cheers. (laughs) Ben's going to have a very (laughs) rough rest of his Sunday. And Adam, thank you very much. Cheers. Well, wonderful morning. Oh, it's absolutely glorious. Exceptional times to be a Fulham FC supporter. So enjoy it, bask in it, and enjoy the start to your week. Come on, you whites. Come you whites. Toodles.